Well, welcome everyone to the, the Montrose Group's Development Debate Podcast. Um, it's just me for the Montrose Group today. I mean, uh, Chad, I don't want to say I've been abandoned, but I think I have. Um, I'm going to try and hold off on the bitterness for the team um, abandoning us. I think they decided that uh, uh, that you could really handle the entire conversation because I know they didn't trust me. Well, I but, thought you guys were going to do a singing part, so I guess it's just going to be a solo from you. Well, you know, I I, I do like to sing. I'm not going to lie to you, but it's not for performance. It's not. It certainly would not be something that you know we'd want to broadcast out there in a in a recorded venture. Uh, I'm of the older generation that that um, that learned that everyone does stupid things, but you certainly don't widen the audience that sees you do it. Yeah. So. I'm going to avoid that. Well, today um, we, we got a great topic. We got a great guest uh, on the podcast. Um, it, it's really going to be a conversation about the arts uh, and economic development and how the two worlds uh, kind of work together. We're, we're fortunate to have, um, you know, one of our our most favored uh, clients uh, on the group, Chad Whittington, who's president of the Columbus Association for the Performing Arts. It's our performing arts center uh, leader uh, here in central Ohio and um, uh, literally, you know, runs a bunch of theaters, has, uh, you know, a group of phenomenal shows. We were just talking beforehand what what is uh, what's in the theaters now. And it's just a really fun client and uh, a lot of a lot of great stuff they're in the middle of. But um Chad, kind of before we, you know, we'll do we'll do a really some tough warm up shows. I told you beforehand, it's going to be I'm going to grill you um, and ask, you know, embarrassing and awkward things. But um, so, how did you how did you first get into this world of, of performing arts? Because your your background is really um, it's kind of on the business side, right? Absolutely. But how did you end up in the world of arts? Yeah, it's not for my singing or dancing talent. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you that for sure. So, I am I'm definitely on the business side of things. But I, I think that's actually an important note. You know, as a nonprofit arts organization, we do a lot of great things. But it is a business at the end, end of the day, and we have to bring in more cash than we spend, or or, or things get ugly. So, uh, my start really came from I was working at Ohio State, and I or not working. I was going to school at Ohio State many years ago, and. I needed a job. I was walking through the old student union and there was a help wanted uh, thing posted on the bulletin board or whatever it was back then. We still had yeah, yeah. Uh, paper help wanted things and it was to work at the Ohio Theater. It was to work at the security desk and in maintenance and cleaning up after shows. And that's how I got started here, doing that at the Ohio wow. Theater yeah, while I was going to school at Ohio State. Yeah, yeah. And uh, working at the security desk, I got to know the the CFO at the time, she'd see me sitting there studying my finance books. That was my major at Ohio <laughs> State. They were growing and said, hey, why don't you come and join us uh, uh, part-time while, you, while you're still going to school. And then, uh, you know, the, the rest is history, as they say. I went up, to, uh, uh, you know, did that for a couple of semesters. And it was great, by the way, you know, getting kind of a prorated full-time salary while you're still working in school. It, it you know, made my... Uh, meals and my beer allowance a lot better there for uh my senior I love year, it I say that I love it um, I I did I did not know it went back yeah that far yeah. that that is simply phenomenal so I've been you 25 know, I, years now total at 
And um, I do remember the old union. So I know exactly. I mean, that was the union was one of the, the, the three buildings. It was the parking garage, the union and the law school yeah. at Ohio State. So I, I pretty much other than the football stadium and the, and the basketball arena, I really um, and maybe an occasional study and experience at one of the other libraries. Uh, it was a pretty small campus for me. So I, I, I remember that union, which is now now they built, you know, this shiny new shiny new union. So it's, it's cool. I kind of, kind of love that. And that, I mean, that, again, you've kind of worked at it, uh, you know, from the ground up and that, that's just gotta, gotta give you a, a, um, a great perspective. Well, tell us, um, for those, for those listeners that don't really know what, what Kappa is, give us, give us the elevator speech on what, what Kappa is and what you do. Sure. So talk about Kappa and, and four pillars. I'll start with the one we're probably best known for, and that is running the performing arts uh, theaters, a lot of historic spaces here in Columbus. So uh, we own the Palace, Ohio and Southern theaters in downtown, as well as the Lincoln Theater on the Near East side. We manage the Rife Center spaces, the Davidson Theater and the studios for the state of Ohio. Uh, manage the Drexel Theater out in Bexley, that's an independent film house, not performing arts, as well as the McCoy Center uh, up in New Albany. So a lot of physical spaces. We bring people together for experiences and memories, as we, we like to say. So run those buildings, do some of our own presentations in those, including the Broadway series. That's, I'd say the other primary thing we're known for is uh, bringing the Broadway series uh, that shows here in the Ohio Theater about 10 weeks a year. That's a cap of presentation. But we do a lot of other things, comedians, dance performances, popular music, uh, a lot of the things that you see in, in the Palace Theater a lot of those one night acts are things that we present. Then we also rent the theaters out to other people, the resident groups, symphony, ballet, opera, um, um, you know, make sure that, that, that we have a lot of things going on in our buildings, stay busy. Beyond that, we have education programs to reach out into the community, bring kids into our buildings and then go out to the schools as well and make sure uh, everybody has some exposure to the arts uh, before they uh, get out of high school, obviously. You know, certainly school budgets make it hard for the schools to be able to, to give as much attention to the arts as, as kids need. So we make sure we, we play uh, a role in that. And then arts leadership is the last piece I, I, I like to talk about. Obviously, Montrose is a great partner of ours in terms of advocacy at the state level. So we work with them to promote the arts, but uh, also at the local level within the city of Columbus, we do a lot of that advocacy. Um, yeah. Work as work as well. It's about uh, funding at times, but it's also about policy. Where where can we do things that uh, policy tweaks that make a difference, especially in the context of running a, a building? If there's something with the uh, you know, state historic tax credits, for example, we worked on those with you in the past. Yeah. But you know, we yeah. do those things with the understanding they many times they benefit not only Kappa but uh, the larger arts community as well. Yeah, and and, and you know, you you mentioned policy and. You know, you've just survived the world of COVID nineteen, um, which I, you know, as I think you were saying and we were saying, and a lot of other arts leaders saying, there's there's no takeout uh, for performance art theater. You can't have Broadway. You know, literally, um, the theaters were closed by by government mandate, and um, and it it was a arduous process. To get them open back up, you know, when when quite frankly, nearly everything else was um, was open back up, theaters everywhere were still struggling. So how 
how did COVID-19 impact you when it was going on? How has it impacted what you do now? I mean, uh, again, um, it, it just seems like, I think to most folks, it was just kind of a crazy time that um, didn't seem like it was going fast when it happened. But now you look back at it, it's like when you see someone you haven't seen for a couple of years, it's like, oh, yeah, wow, it was it's really been crazy. Yeah. But what how did it really impact um, the world of Kappa and the, and the arts community? Yeah. Yeah. To your point, it did this funny thing to time, didn't it? We we, we jokingly call it BC around here right? before COVID. Which seems like- <laughs> <laughs> 20 years ago now. <laughs> um, it was exactly what you said. We were completely shut down for roughly eight, 18 months. And you know, we are in the business of bringing people together. As you said, there's there's no takeout. Certainly, you know, the when, when you think about streaming music and um, performance, uh, there are plenty of channels for that, but they already exist. You know, our, our niche right. is, is live performance. Um, so it, it was... You know, it, it was it was horrible, and, it, and and the worst part of it was for the employees. You know, we have yeah. over a hundred full time employees when we're running uh, normally, and uh, plus another two hundred and fifty to three hundred and fifty part time and on call employees. And so, uh, all of the part time on call employees, you know, they lost their work immediately. About half of our full timers did just within uh, a number of months. So, you know, the staff impact was was. Uh, huge because it's not like the, the the folks that have specialty within our industry could go somewhere else because everybody else was in the same boat the jobs were they, they just weren't to be had at the, that time so yeah um, for that that for me was the uh the worst of it this i will say the community stepped up you know those kind of carrying costs that we had to had to have and couldn't get rid of um, the community stepped up certainly there was some government support both at the state and federal level that made a uh, a huge difference um, so, so we're very appreciative of that. So after 18 months, then it's uh, uh, all of a sudden there, there was this brief period where we could have limited crowds and we started to do a few shows and then the floodgates were open and we could do everything. Yeah. So, you know, so it wasn't just that I, I, I was talking to some folks from around the country, not, not too long ago. And we talked about this fact that, you know, you, you think you've reached the finish line when you can get your doors back open, but that really wasn't the finish line. Now you've got to get all your employees back. You've got to remember how to operate these buildings with crowds coming in that, uh, you know, it's been 18 months since you've done it. So the six months back were interesting um, from that perspective, just getting ourselves back into, into fitness for taking care of the buildings. And on top of that, we had uh, the mask mandates, uh, testing mandates, that those right. things we were dealing with. Um, and there were no right answers. Obviously, there were lots of different opinions, and uh, you know, keeping everybody happy was impossible. So, the, the good news is that in the end, we made it through. All the arts organizations in Central Ohio made it through. We didn't have any casualties, and audiences have come back in a big way uh, in the almost approaching two years now that we've been open. So, I, I'm very grateful for that. As we were talking about before we started, uh, Ain't Too Proud is here. Story of the Temptations in the Ohio right now. We'll have, yeah, very cool. Yeah, we'll have 20,000 people through the Ohio Theater this week, so that's exciting. Wow. Well, and and I think it's important for folks to know, I think, I think there's, uh, unless you work with arts organizations, there's just this impression that there's five art, five rich guys or five, five rich ladies that say, oh yeah, I, I love the theater, so I'm just going to give them you know, a couple million dollars a year, and they're just going to keep their doors open. In reality, performing arts theaters, in large part, they're a business. They may be not for profit, but um, 
you stay open because you provide a service. People people pay for tickets to come see a performance. And not, not that you don't have benefactors and supporters and and a you know very supportive community, but uh, it's generally not going to be at the same level that maybe a, a you know a 150 year old art museum might or or some other specific um, you know art 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 institution that has just been around for so long and has had long term benefactors, but quite frankly doesn't have many costs. You know yeah. they got to make sure the heat and air conditioning's on. And they have a couple staff that work the front, you know, the front door and keep keep the place clean. You run a theater, right? You know, um, and that, as you said, it seems like you've had every job, you know, that you that you could in the place. Uh, so it it is also really important, I think, for folks to understand that if you can't have shows, you can't make money. And it and that is that's a testament to you to you know how you kind of managed um, the operation of you know of the organization and to the other arts leaders that did it because it was literally you know the lights were off you know for for a long period of time. Yep, and to your point, over ninety percent of our budget comes from what we would call earned revenue sources: so ticket sales, rental, uh, selling concessions. Yeah, our our contributions from the community, including government support. Are just mm -hmm. a little bit under ten percent of our total budget. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. Overnight, um, overnight, ninety percent of our our revenue went away back in March of twenty twenty. Crazy, crazy. Um, so let's talk about arts and economic development. It's it's a um, it's something we talk about a lot. You know, again, um, you know, from a from a from a public policy standpoint. Um, you know, we we tend to align, uh, you know, requests for support from from the government to what the public values. Um, you know, and and again, it's it, it is a pretty clear line between um, the arts and and the world of economic development, uh, and not not just from a pure how many people do you employ and what payroll do you have and what kind of capital investment you have, but it's that broader notion of of economic development. So, how do you see the the, the world of performing arts working with uh, kind of being integrated in the the economic development issue? Sure, absolutely. Um, talked earlier about the fact the arts are business, but the creative industries are economic drivers as well. So, it's not all about the numbers. I agree, but you know they are big numbers in Ohio, three hundred thousand plus jobs in the creative industry, 55 billion in economic impact and almost 5 billion in direct tax revenue to state, local, federal sources. So, so there is that piece of it. But I think what's really important is the, the fact that we drive people to communities. And I think it's that's been magnified since COVID actually. Um, mm -hmm. Downtown Columbus is a great example of that. You know, before uh, COVID actually, obviously the, the lunch business was much more robust than it is now. Yeah. Uh, people coming downtown every day. That's still not the case. Uh, everybody knows there are a lot of employers that for all the work-life balance uh, reasons that, that we know about, you know, most people are not coming downtown five days a week. And you walk around downtown yeah. restaurants and you realize that. So the restaurants are now surviving on the evening activity. So who's a major driver of that? We are. 
you know, we've got almost right. I mean, eight thousand seats downtown. You fill those on a given night, given night with performance it makes a huge difference to the restaurants, to the hotels that exist down here, the parking revenue, uh, all all of those things. And so that's how we you know, really have an economic impact. On top of the people that uh, we employ ourselves, Kappa Kappa has over a hundred full time employees, and as I mentioned earlier, uh, roughly three hundred fifty. Others get some uh, amount of revenue from us on a part-time basis each and every year. And that's just Kappa. There, there are a ton of arts organizations here in this community right. and across the state. Yeah, I, I, but I'd also I think there's I think there's two other really uh, critical ways that that the arts organizations play a role. And um, I'll tie it back. You know, we, we do a lot of corporate site location work for companies and, a, you know, just a major trend uh, because of COVID is that when you tell people they can't come to work in an office setting, um, you know, for three, six, 12 months, whatever your time frame is, uh, pretty soon they get comfortable not coming to work. And then pretty soon they like that flexibility, they're, they're, they can live with the Zoom calls. Um, so what that has uh, in large part really kind of decimated our office market. And that's true everywhere. So the, the larger companies in particular, you know, they may wait till they, they may, they'll give their employees the choice. Do you want to come in or not? Do you want to come in for a period of time or not? Um, or do you want to just come in full time? And the, the folks, the larger companies that we've talked to is you basically have a third of the people like, yeah, I'm never coming in. Give my desk away. Um, a third of the people like, yeah, I'll come in two or three days a week. And then the third, then the other final third are like, oh, I'm absolutely coming in. So, um, and that's everywhere, right? That isn't just, you know, um, in a big city. And, and the reality is um, these office towers that we have are, are being transformed. The one across the street from us is being transformed into multifamily. And, and I think we're going to see more of that. So we are, we are reimagining our downtowns. And I would tell you that it's not just uh, in mid-sized urban markets like Columbus, but it's also in small cities. And one of the great aspects of small communities is almost all of them have a theater, right? Maybe they have more than one. And uh, maybe it's been closed. Maybe it's, you know, been struggling. Um, I, I, think it, I think that those, those theaters, those performing arts centers uh, in that downtown market create a uh, not just an opportunity for folks coming from the suburbs to park their car and come to dinner and go to a show, but for people who actually are looking at living in that urban environment, it creates um, more people downtown, right? People, people equal safety. You know, the, if, if it's a perception, clear perception of safety that if there's a number of people around uh, in an area, you, you feel safer. Um, so it gives, it builds that connection for those people, but it also, they're like, wow, you know, I can go to the Ohio theater tonight, just like going to a baseball game or going to a, a hockey game or a basketball game does, does the same thing. And, and I think the, the other area where it's so clearly related, it comes back to quality of place. Absolutely. Right. When, when you have COVID going on and you have people who in a lot of cases, they can live anywhere. So if they are, not kind of bound to an office because um, a lot of our site location clients we've had <laughs> better renegotiate a bunch of incentive deals because they're kind of like yeah 
Well, we moved to a national, you can live wherever you want model. So we need to figure out how that impacts our incentives that we thought were all gonna be for workers coming to our office. Right. So again, big town, small town, whatever you want, we've really moved our whole economic development planning approach to being about quality of place. You want a growing economy, you want availability of housing, you want great demographics, low cost of doing business, all of those matter. But what has really kind of emerged from COVID is that you really need to have um, a place where people want to live, work, and play. Absolutely. Right? Yep. And that could be Columbus. That could be Newark. You know, we're, we're doing work uh, out in the city of Newark, about 45 minutes from Columbus, uh, industrial community, you know, uh, former industrial community, very strong uh, business community that's there. We've been helping them redevelop the Newark Arcade, but they have their theater. Absolutely. You know, beautiful old theater right downtown. So uh, again, it is, um, if you're looking at, if you can live wherever you want, you're going to look to a place that you can, you know, live, work, and play, and not just drive your car, park it, park it in your garage, and turn your TV on. So I, I really see it as being not just the numbers, right? Because because the the numbers are clear. You, you you know we do economic impact statements. I mean you know those are those are easy to do to kind of plug in the numbers and, and produce these billion dollar impacts. But part of it I think is also intangible, right? It's that it's the it's the activity you generate for someone that's for for maybe a downtown that's in transition, um, and it's the quality of place. I mean, I don't, I don't know if you kind of see that as, as well, because I know you, you've, you not only have run campus theaters, but at times you've been involved in helping, you know, run other communities' theaters. But is that, you see that uh, kind of play, those two aspects playing a key role as well? Oh, absolutely. That's absolutely true. And, and I think uh, it, one of the ways that we see that play out is through doing tours of, of four companies that are thinking of Columbus as a perspective home. Um, and we do that because to your point, right, employers, and, and I understand maybe there's, you know, not as much nucleus as there used to be, but, but still, uh, if you're, if you're looking to, to create a home in a, in, in a community, you want to make sure that uh, there is a great art scene, you know, arts, sports, all of those things add uh, to the flavor of, of the community. And so, you know, to, to show somebody through the theaters and to show that there's a robust arts community here is, uh, super important. To your point, point about development, if you think about the Ohio Theater and how mm -hmm. it was acted, it, you know, it reopened in 1969, Capitol Square followed that, and then the revitalization of the downtown. You think about the Lincoln Theater uh, over on the yeah. side, you know, it's been yeah. around 13 years, and, and you see how that neighborhood continues to transform. And then the example you were given of the Midland out in uh, Newark uh, and you know yep. it's, been, it's been operating and now it's starting to cluster around that so absolutely oftentimes a theater and the activity that it brings is is the first seed that gets planted in a community uh, that can then help downtowns uh, revitalize and you're absolutely right there are you know there are hundreds of small theaters and, and small communities all all around the state uh, Bell Fountain the Majestic Theater down in uh, Chillicothe a couple of examples uh, of yeah that have been part of downtown uh, revitalization. And frankly, state government has been a huge supporter of those through the Capitol bill, helping to invest in those yeah. uh, small theaters. 
Yeah, I remember we were talking to a state senator here in Ohio and he represented about cap and he represented a rural community. And I started giving the pitch about theaters. He goes, you don't have to tell me about it. I got 13 historic theaters in my district. Wow, that's incredible. You know, so um, it, it, it just has a big impact. And, and again, um, where COVID has created challenges, I also think it creates opportunities when it comes to that, to that quality of place. Um, you know, I know you're always, you know, especially serving a growing market like Columbus kind of, you've always got your eye on expansion. Um, we've been working on the, the Presbyterian church project. You want, you want to talk a little bit about that? I think it's, I think it's got, it could be a really exciting next step, uh, for Kappa. Yeah, we're, we're thrilled with this. Uh, so right here on third, third street in downtown Columbus, just, uh, really less than a block away from Capitol square. Uh, with the old Central Presbyterian Church. Kappa bought that about 10 years ago. Uh, the congregation just got to the point they couldn't take care of the building, so mm -hmm. expanded, kind of moved on to other spaces, and uh, we bought the building. We've been sitting on it. Uh, we knew the right, we knew we were going to need it as a community. Uh, we knew we'd have to sit on it a little while until we got to that point. Well, we are certainly at that point. Our other theaters are, are full of activity, and yeah. we need a space where we continue continue to grow our offerings. What's really exciting about the church is, you know, we've got theaters with sloped floors, fixed seating. You sit down and you look at a stage. If, imagine an old church. This is an 1860s church, and uh, it's a flat flat floor, a uh, big open space. It gives us a lot of flexibility in terms of what we can do in there. So you can have an act that comes in, um, standing room only event. And then the next night you can bring in chairs and set everybody down. You can make it a dance floor. For us, it really right. expands what we can do from a, a programming perspective. So, and it's going to be an economic driver because this is a building that's going to be open five nights a week, um, anywhere between four and 600 people in there, depending if it's a seated or a stand-up. Uh, event and it's really going to revitalize that area, create this sense of activity right there um, along third. So we're excited. We think we hope to break ground in about a year. We're raising the, the money right now. It's about a $14 million project. And it's just going to complement everything else that's going on uh, downtown. When we talk about bringing bodies down. It's just uh, it, it's one more space. It's going to have a rooftop bar uh, attached to it as well. So uh, yeah, none of you we're looking forward to. Well, and, and it's also it's also going to have a strong educational component to it that it's that it gives you uh, not just space for entertainers, but you know it gives you a, a great space for educational partnerships with K through twelve schools or higher ed to, to really kind of merge those two, um, you know, merge the, the the world of Capo with that with that educational world that that again. Um, you know, you've got these big, beautiful theaters that are great for, you know, and again, it's great. I, I always love at Christmas time, the, the flow of school buses, you know, uh, coming in to see the Nutcracker or Christmas Carol, uh, you know, just like I did when I was a kid. Um, it's a rite of passage. But this is a lot more than just coming to see a show on a field trip, right? I mean, this is really has a real chance to build some substantial partnerships in a, in a facility. Yeah, we try, we tie community into everything we do and this building's not going to be any different. And to your point, because of the size of it, it's going to have even more opportunity. We've talked to a lot of local groups, Transit Arts, Momentum, Columbus Cultural Orchestra, uh, groups that, that need space, they need affordable space. 
um, but professional space at the same time. That's what the church is going to be. So, you know, there will certainly be commercial type activity in there, regional artists that come through. Then there are going to be nights when it's going to be local groups and giving kids and, and performers that might not have an opportunity to be in that professional setting on a regular basis, uh, the chance to, to be a part of a, uh, a great venue and per, perform on a professional right. stage. So, yeah. And right. we started talking to Columbus public school system for uh, exam example. So getting those kids, getting their kids over there during the day, providing internship opportunities. So, so people can understand what the career options are uh, in the field of the you know, arts. It's awesome. Well, what, what advice would you give, you know, business leaders, big cities, small cities, how, what what the what should they be doing to kind of really capitalize on this world of arts and and economic development that that, that can you know I'm, I'm not it, it really can't necessarily replicate what you've done because you know you live in a market right you know you right. live in a market you the reality is you can you can serve uh, you know the region uh, and it is a region you know because I know your ticket sales come from all over the all over the state just like you know, the, the world of Cleveland and Cincinnati, you know, uh, do as well in many ways, but what, what's your, what's your wisdom out there for the, for the economic development leaders as to how they can really get uh, arts more fully integrated into their, their economic development efforts? Absolutely. I think, especially in smaller communities, one of the, the first thing I, I would say is work together. Uh, there are multiple, even in the smallest of communities, there are typically smaller arts organizations, a, a, a dance organization or a ballet organization, a theater uh, company, um, those groups working together because you need a little bit of critical mass and that makes it so much easier. If you're a community that's trying to run the theater by all volunteers, for example, and, and you don't have a paid staff person that's a professional, that's tough. Uh, that's tough on the volunteers. It's tough on, on continuity. And so you band some of those smaller organizations together and work together on the project. Yeah. I think that gives it a lot better uh, chance of success. The other thing that, you know, we're not afraid of this at Kappa. It's, uh, I talked about fundraising being 10% of our, our uh, overall budget. So we ask a lot of people for money. I've seen some hesitancy in smaller communities because I, I get it. The, the pool of donors is smaller. And so people will say, oh, well, I've, uh, you know, I've X company or X individual has, has gets asked by everybody. We, we don't want to do that too. But if you're developing the community, if you're playing a critical role in the community, you know, people will want to support you and you need, you need to ask for that uh, support. And for those that are driving economic impact, uh, be you know, be aware that those arts organizations are critically important. Do support them. Ask how you can help. Again, a lot of times, yeah. you know, CAP is not going out and asking somebody to help us do our books. We've got a professional staff that can do that. But in these smaller organizations, help with accounting, HR, IT, fundraising, marketing, uh, those can make a huge difference and are a way that you can support those organizations without having to write a check. Yeah, well, I'm certainly glad that I'm not in charge of doing your books because I can barely stand to do my own QuickBooks, and I I don't I don't want to have to deal with with all that. But I I think that um, you know CAP is a phenomenal model. I mean, you know, we didn't really get to talk about the history that you know is really born 
you know, about 50 years ago when, when there was a, a big redevelopment project going on and, and the city was considering tearing down the Ohio Theater. Uh, and, and Kappa was formed in essence to save the theater. And it's, it's just turned into this uh, dynamo that, that just spurs all this growth and economic development and, and, and really addresses the quality of, quality of place issue that um, <clears throat> even in a relatively, I'm gonna call Columbus a young community, you know, it's kind of a post, it's, its growth has been in post-World War II uh, timeframe, unlike a lot of older industrial cities like Detroit or Cleveland, you know, Columbus is more uh, like Charlotte or Nashville or Raleigh where they've grown a lot more since World War II, but um, they've held on to some of that, you know, historic um, heritage in some of those buildings, uh, you know, whether it's the Ohio or the Palace or the Southern, uh, you know, are just beautiful, beautiful structures and great venues. But Chad, we love working with you. Um, you know, this was easier without Nate or Tim Bigham, uh, you know, on the podcast because we would have been laughing at our own jokes the whole time. And you'd have been thinking, why in the hell am I doing this? Uh, I got I got tickets to sell. I mean, this is these guys are slowing me down, but we appreciate you being on and um, would just, uh, you know, kind of urge you to, to keep up the good work. Any any closing thoughts you got? Well, thanks, David. You guys have been great partners. So I, I appreciate it. This has been a good conversation. So I guess my closing thought is uh, to everyone out there, you know, the arts are open, come out and, and see something, whether it's Kappa or the symphony or the opera or whatever the case may be. There's a lot of great uh, entertainment that's and, uh, and arts that are going on in Columbus. So find something that you're interested in and come out and see it. Perfect. All right. Well, that, that's it. That's the, that's the Development Debate Podcast, again, with Arts and Economic Development. And uh, we'll be back with other exciting topics. Thanks, everyone. To learn more about the Montrose Group services, please visit MontroseGroupLLC.com.